7 of the Gladiators Battle Podcast. Today we're going to round up all the big news and the rumours and things surrounding MMA in general over the last couple of weeks. We're going to look back at UFC Canada and look ahead at a couple of the big fights happening next week. So without further ado, let's get to it. Okay, welcome back. So it's been a couple of weeks since my last episode. There's been a few issues behind the scenes, but they should be taken care of and... Yeah, the podcast should be a little bit more frequently now. So, yeah, a lot has happened since the last episode. So, I highly doubt I'm going to remember everything because um, going through this one with no notes. So, I'm just going off the top. Uh, yeah, so it's got to have been three or four weeks since the last episode. So, definitely a lot has happened. I'm going to try and cover the biggest stories or at least the most recent stories. If I remember anything that I've forgotten later on, um, before the next episode, I'll probably make a separate YouTube video, so definitely go check my YouTube out under the same name, but it's then MMA, but yeah, uh, the biggest one that sticks out to me is obviously the one that I called, which is the Francis Ngannou signing with the PFL. If you, do, if you have been listening to the other episodes and you do follow my YouTube, you'll see that I called this one a couple of weeks before it actually happened. But he got himself a good deal. And as I said previously, it really does set the precedent for these big superstars now that there is a life outside of the UFC. Because, you know, watching the UFC, they have a favoritism towards the heavier fighters the heavyweights always get precedent on the main card over the smaller fighters. If you look back at the records of the main events over the last decade or so, the heavyweights, the light heavyweights are heavily favoured. So it's pretty fair to say that the heavyweight champion is probably one of, if not the most prestigious title in in combat sports. Even if it's stretching over to like boxing and things like that, the heavyweight title is always usually the most anticipated and the one that's you know the most followed. So having the current reigning heavyweight champion move to another organization is is huge, and I you know I think it's a great deal on Engano's part. I think he probably made the right decision based on the atmosphere and the tension he had with the UFC and with Dana, and the way that Dana has reacted since he left, I think just makes it all that more apparent. So before we get into the in and outs of what I understand about Nganu's contract and a little bit about that, did anybody else notice the timing of Dana White's insane card announcement with, you know, the BMF title and Gaethje and Dustin Poirier? Now I can't remember the rest of the card, but not long after the huge Francis Ngannou announcement, Dana White went live and announced like a huge pay-per-view card where the the BMF title would be coming back. Now, I 100% believe he did that to try and drown out the, the announcement that Ngannou made. And I definitely think that his intention was to try and undermine Ngannou, which is such a bitch move. I mean, I get it. It's marketing 101. You know, you want to... 
make a big impact. You want to be the number one news outlet. You want to be the most talked about, blah, blah, blah. But there just seems to be, especially with the UFC and Dana White, once you stop fighting in that organization, they just do a full 180 and flip the script. They, they don't treat you with the respect that they used to. They, they don't give you any of that support so to speak yeah so i mean the card looks stacked i'm gonna try and see if i can find the rest of the announcement after we spoke about nganu but yeah so the deal that he agreed with the pfl i believe he doesn't actually start fighting until 2024 and he's not gonna be fighting in the regular season so he won't actually even be you know challenging for the title He's just going to be doing those high-profile fights that they have on the pay-per-view. So the way the, the pay-per-views work is they have the the seasons and then they have a couple of like big-name matchups. So Nganu's just going to be one of their big names. So he's obviously going to draw in an audience which gives the PFL more eyes. And if it gives them more eyes on their big fights, maybe in their title fights in the finals and stuff, I definitely think that it, the PFL are going to benefit. And the PFL not only have not only have made a huge signing, but they're showing that the UFC is, you know, they're not the only they're not the only company out there with the money. Now, I don't believe that anybody else in the PFL is going to get paid anywhere near Francis Ngannou, not yet at least. But the the president of the PFL said something really cool and I'm, oh, he said something along the lines of like because Dana White talked down on the PFL and then he said something along the lines of like Blockbuster said that Netflix was a nobody and you know look what happened so something along the lines of that which was pretty cool and I definitely I definitely think he's onto something you know the PFL might not be a household name just yet but they're definitely making waves. I definitely think they're the second biggest MMA organization. I think they, they are bigger than Bellator for sure. And I think if you're an athlete looking to sign for an organization that isn't the UFC, I think the PFL is the way to go. And we've seen how competitive the the PFL can be. I mean, just last week, Brendan Lothning was knocked out, right? And he was the reigning champion like a minus 700 favorite or something. But yeah, we'll also cover that in in just a bit. But one of the main things that Francis Ngannou had in his contract, which I think is really cool, is that they are opening the... He's going to be the president of the PFL Africa, right? Which the UFC, I feel, have really dropped the ball on doing a UFC event in Africa when they had the three reigning champions in uh, Adesanya... Usman and I can't, I can't for the life of me remember who it was, but yeah, they had three champions at once um, representing Africa, and then they didn't do the Africa event which they said they was going to, and now they don't have any. Well, obviously they have Izzy back now, but <clears throat> yeah. So, and then Dana White's also talked about opening, um, you know, some sort of academy in Africa. But they haven't done anything yet. So the fact that the PFL are doing that and they're having arguably the biggest African MMA star that they have that is, you know, still fighting, 
to be the president of that and to be the face of that, they are going to get so much of the African talent, which in the next five to 10 years is going to become massive because the UFC going to miss out on all these amazing fighters. Because think about how many amazing fighters that we have in MMA right now from Africa that, you know, train outside of Africa. How many more are probably at that level or could reach that level? They just don't have the facilities yet. So if the PFL can put something out there like that, then I definitely think that they're onto something. Um, He also has in his contract that he can go and fight, which I believe that he is in advanced talks with Deontay Wilder right now, which I think personally is probably the best boxing fight that he could have. Because if you look back at Deontay Wilder's fights with Tyson Fury, they've all been blockbusters. I mean, maybe the, you know, you can argue that Wilder doesn't have the boxing technique as these, as most people do. He just has the knockout power. But that favors Nganu because it gives, I believe, Nganu a stronger chance at winning. Because Wilder isn't this amazing technical boxer like you have in Tyson Fury, who Nganu was rumored to have fight first. You have someone that's a little bit sloppier, you know, someone that can get hit a little bit more. And if you're leaving yourself to be open to be hit by someone like Nganu, he can 100% put your lights out. So I think the fight with Deontay Wilder is a more exciting fight because of the power that Deontay Wilder has. And I think it's a way more exciting fight because of the power and the likelihood that Nganu is going to have success against Wilder in comparison to people like AJ, who was an amazing amateur boxer, and Tyson Fury, who's an amazing defensive boxer. So I think the fact that he's allowed to go out and do the boxing, now I have no idea when that would be, but if his contract is to fight next year, I would like to assume that the boxing fight would happen maybe early next year and then his MMA fight would be towards the end of the year. And you've got to remember, is like 36 now. So if he's 37 going into his first PFL fight, he's only going to have a couple of fights in there, right? So I think the signing isn't necessarily to have him come in and obliterate people. It's more as a, like a, look at us statement, you know, we can sign the biggest guys, we we have the attraction, we can work with these fighters, I think that's the main thing that the UFC failed to do, they failed to work with Nganu, because I don't, I don't, I don't believe they didn't offer him a lot of money, it's the other things that he wanted, like, for example, they are giving Nganu's opponents a minimum of two million, which is amazing, he said he doesn't want to face an opponent that isn't being paid what they deserve and they should they should be rewarded. So no so now people are gonna want that. It's the it's the red panty night that you get when you fight Conor McGregor. If you're a heavyweight uh fighter in the UFC and you're earning 50k show money, 50k win money, right? Which is probably what a lot of the bigger names are. Even if you're at the top of the list and you're, you know, like Curse Blades and you're offering, you're winning, it's like 200,000 each way. If you finish your contract and you can go into the sign for the PFL for a year and you can fight in Ganu and you make a bare minimum of 2 million, 
you're going to do it. This might entice a lot of heavyweights to jump ship or at least try and get a piece of this. So I think that's also a thing to keep your eye on. People eyeing up, be trying to be his opponent. Because I've seen a lot of heavyweights already trying to throw their hat in the ring, which is smart. You, you want to you wanna try and be the one that gets this, this guaranteed money. Um, he also said that he's still down to fight John Jones. I definitely don't believe that Nganu was the one that uh, ducked John Jones because John Jones was the one that was absent for for three years, right? While Nganu was champion, uh, he he didn't uh, he didn't duck John Jones. He did. He's not. He's never turned down a fight, right? Think about the people that Nganu has fought. He fought. All the dangerous fighters at heavyweight. You think for a second that he's going to be scared of John Jones. It's just happened in a way that John Jones has. He can kind of get annoying with it. He can say, because now Nganu's left, there's probably no way that he's going to fight Jones. He can he can get under his skin. He can be like, oh, you left because of me. When it's it's just, it's not true. So... I think I think he made a great decision going to the PFL. Uh, probably mid to next year he's going to make his first fight. Definitely keep an eye out for that. Um, a couple of the UFC cards that happened over since the last time I did a podcast. Uh, I can't remember exactly which the last one was. So I'm just going to see, <clears throat> I'm just going to talk, sorry, about some of the big events that happened. First one being Jim Miller getting a 23 second knockout. So Miller obviously broke the record for most wins and was hit with those comments from uh, Cormier saying that he doesn't believe he should be inducted into the Hall of Fame. Now, I agree that I agree somewhat with Cormier's point in the sense that I don't believe time served is enough to just be inducted into the Hall of Fame because you can just be a bang average fighter, right? That has an even record that's entertaining and has a good fan base and you can be in the UFC for 20 years. Doesn't necessarily mean you're a Hall of Famer, right? It kind of discredits the, the actual Hall of Famers with these amazing accolades, with these amazing fights. Now, Jim Miller is... If Donald Cerrone is a Hall of Famer, Jim Miller is probably a Hall of Famer, right? I do think he's tinkering on the edge of actually should he, should he be in or not. I think because the UFC is still quite a young... Uh, still a young company in terms of, like, MMA as a sport in general. Like, if you look at anything like football, basketball, baseball, American football, they have hundreds of years of history. So it's just they're still finding their feet in terms of Hall of Famers. Like, Hall of Famers are only just being inducted because it's only been around long enough to just, you know, start acknowledging these accomplishments and stuff. But I think... Jim Miller, right, has the most wins and the most appearances or something. Uh, I don't think his resume is actually good enough to be a Hall of Famer. But, yeah, it's a tough one. I mean, I am kind of siding. I do think he's a legend. 
I think he should win something. Like there should be some kind of award for people that hit these amazing accomplishments. Hall of Fame though, probably not. Because if you're just going to give someone a Hall of Fame for having the most wins, it's going to be beaten at some point. He's not going to have the most wins forever, right? I think you should look at his level of competition. And obviously he has that win over Charles Oliveira, but doesn't have any that many more significant wins other than Charles Oliveira. And when he beat Charles Oliveira, it wasn't the, the Charles Oliveira that you know we see today. But yeah. DC made his comments, had a bit of an outrage online because obviously he's a legend and people support him, but yeah, I'm kind of siding with DC on this one. Also that night we saw the uh, Cara France fight where we had another horrendous judging uh, situation when he fought Amir Albazi. Now, I watched the fight and I did score it for Cara France. Uh, it was a close fight. Now, it's the same old argument that people have with MMA fans. Now, the MMA community is definitely one of the most toxic communities in all of sports. I, it's just, I don't know if it's like, I think it's obviously compared to other sports, it's more heavily male dominated in terms of fans. Males seem to have a bit more of an ego. And especially when it comes to like being a tough guy, I just think like the average fan seems to think that they know a lot more or they think they know what's right. So you kind of get these egos pushed into people's opinions and stuff and they they just don't understand really or they just fail to want to learn. But no fight that's close is ever a robbery. A robbery is like when Hendricks lost against GSP. That's a robbery. A clear winner in Hendricks, but the fight was given to GSP. Watch that fight if you want to see a robbery. A fight that's close, for example, John Jones versus Dominic Reyes, not a robbery. I also think Jones won that fight. But Cara France versus Albazi was not a robbery, it was a close fight. The issue is with the round that was scored for Albazi. Similar to when I was talking about the Sterling Cejudo fight, right? One of the judges gave Sterling round four, I think it was, or round three. Whichever one it was, it was the, the most clear round for Cejudo. And they gave it to Sterling. Whereas if he had given it to Cejudo, which 99% of people thought he, he won, he would have won the title. This is the same situation happened. Now, I don't think, I can't remember for, if it was exactly, if it was exactly the same in terms of if they had given this round to Cara France, he would have won the entire fight. But I, I saw that um, the famous judge, uh, Sal D'Amato, who, you know, he is up there in all controversial fights. Him and, uh, is it Chris Lee? Them two are the most horrendous judges in the entire, in the entire sport. Uh, I saw a clip on Instagram where this guy, he's a pretty, he's a pretty uh, well-known, like, MMA guy, I forget his name. He does, like, the MMA picks and stuff, he's quite funny. He was talking about all the cards where, uh, some, where those two judges were on that were controversial, and it's like five, five huge ones. But yeah, Cara France, uh, in my eyes, his clearest round was four, I think, and... 
one judge where he I think he outstruck Albazi like twenty six to to like twelve and landed two takedown no and landed one takedown the only takedown so like the in terms of the stats there was nothing for Albazi to have won that fight now I know stats you can't judge around based off stats you can't just look and be like oh he has he hit him more times he won but it's a good place to start and when they are that lopsided I think it doesn't take a genius to work it out right so yeah another horrendous judging decision and not only was the judging decision huge in terms of implications for the division because the winner of that is probably going to be going on to have a title shot right uh, it was Cara France's like redemption fight where he would he could potentially have gone back to fight for the title where he's been close before but instead he's lost and he also went on to Ariel Hawani's show and spoke about that that cost him a hundred thousand because his purse was a hundred thousand show hundred thousand win so not only is it costing him in terms of his career but it's costing him hugely in his personal life because his next fight now coming off a loss is not going to be a main event so you can assume he's probably not going to get paid as much He's going to have to work his way back up to a title shot, looking at two or three fights minimum, especially after coming so close to a title fight twice now and then being knocked down, and the huge implications in terms of money on his on his personal life. So, yeah, these, these judges, man, they fucking stink. Like, either us fans watching it are missing something and the judges are scoring them correctly you know they have a handbook and they they're, they're hitting everything and we just don't know or they're making terrible decisions either way they need to come out and educate us on what it is if we don't know how to score a fight right and we are blowing these guys up come out and show us give us some more information give us an explanation well actually even though he was outstruck so much and got the takedown he actually lost this round because if you look at this this is how you score the round so that's why i did it and then at least we can be like okay makes sense i get it or if they're just terrible judges get rid of them because it's happening so often i genuinely believe that there is something more to it because there's no way that the company can keep allowing this to happen and be happy with it when it's happening so often. I definitely think that having the judges accountable, simple as, you know how they have the fighters in the post-fight press conference? If there's anything that's controversial, have a judge go in there, explain why, and then leave. It will take five minutes. And if they're going off a handbook or a rule book that we're not familiar with or we don't have access to, explain that to us and then we'll understand and we'll we'll be fine with it. Something that simple is it just baffles me how something that simple would solve a huge problem is not being done. So there has to be a reason why. It's just it's like everyone but the people involved and by people involved I mean like the the head of the UFC companies and the head of the MMA companies and the actual judges themselves because fighters are calling for it fans are calling for it um, you know people in the industry who do 
YouTube and stuff like that, they are all asking for it. It's, it's, it baffles me. I, I, I just can't wrap my head around it. But yeah, moving on anyway, that's enough about the judges. It seems like, I, you know, I've probably done like, what, eight of these podcasts, nine of these podcasts, and I've talked about the terrible judging or bad judging decisions in at least 50% of them. But yeah, so moving on to the uh, the UFC 289, which went back to Canada, which was cool. We had uh, Steve Urseg came in and beat a top 10 in David Dovrak, which was fucking amazing, an amazing performance. So uh, the only thing that's pissed me off is he's beat number 10 and then come into the rankings at number 13. How does that work? Who makes these fucking rankings as well? Oh, I'm all hyped up now because of the fucking judges thing. But so who makes the rankings? What what's the rules for that? Why do we just accept it? Why do we just accept that some suit in the backs made these rankings and we're just like, okay, that's right. I wanna know why they are ranked where they are. I wanna know how you get higher. I wanna know why people are why some people have to accept fights below them, whereas people who are a little bit higher can just be like, nah, I don't want to fight below me. Is it is it just down to person personality in terms of who they want to fight? Is it just you beat someone who's higher than you and then you go ranked above them? Because that would make the most sense, right? If I'm ranked number 10 and the next guy is ranked number 14 and he beats me, he's better than the number 10. He just beat me. He should be number 10. If he just be number 10 and he's 14, why don't we just switch? Why don't I go to 14 and he goes to 10? Why or why do some people go above and then you only go down one or two places? There's no there's no set there's no set rules to what they to what they do. And nobody really questions it. We just accept it's right. It's like, oh that's shit. It's like when Volk, uh Volkanovsky lost against Islam. Now I was I was a huge advocate for Volkanovski. Proved he is actually the pound for pound number one. But he got beat by Islam. You know, he probably should have been. Islam probably should have gone to pound for pound number one. If there was more clarity to it, it yeah, it would just be so much easier. I think MMA, especially the UFC, because of how big it is, they just need to be more open with the fans so we can understand a little bit better especially with the rankings and with judging but yeah so he came in uh, he beat Dovrak which was amazing he's instantly just he's had one fight in the UFC he's 10 and 1 now I think or 11 and 1 and he's just gone immediately into the top 15 which is amazing and beating a top 10 guy having and then being ramped below him gives him a little bit of a a little bit of bargaining power, I think, in making his next fight. I think he can definitely get a top ten, a top ten fight next. He could definitely be someone that uh, Makayev has to fight on his way up. I think that would be a great fight. I also saw that Makayev is uh, is doing well in his training, his mobility is back in his knee, so hopefully he'll be back fighting soon, which would be pretty cool. But yeah, the the Canadian fighters got a clean sweep, five and zero, oh, which is pretty cool. I know when the USC came to London the first time, the English fighters did really well. We didn't get a clean sweep, but we did well. So yeah, it was nice. It was pretty cool to see the Canadian fighters get a clean sweep. 
Uh, another fucking no, another sorry, another accidental headbutt. It with with Chris Curtis, man, he just can't catch a break, right? And it was really bad. I saw the cut afterwards in the back. Oh fuck, it was pretty gruesome. Now I I did like the way that that was dealt with. That's how they should deal with all accidental headbutts. They gave him a lot of time. They had the doctor come in. Chris wanted to fight, which was which was great to see. He was like, I just need another minute. I just need another minute. He would have gone back out there. Now, I definitely think given what happened, uh, to call it off was was the best decision because I think it would have affected the fight anyway. But uh, Imavov, uh, you know, you know, if you listen to this podcast, you know, I butcher people's names and trust me, I fucking try. I'm just terrible at pronouncing them. So, you know who I'm talking about. The fucking French Dagestani. Uh, Imavov was looking pretty fucking good. His striking looked crisp. His kicks were good. He was he was looking like he was in control of the fight. So I did feel a little bit bad for him in the fact that the the fight was the fight ended in the way it did, considering how well he was doing. Uh, I hope I hope uh, I hope they have a quick a quick turnaround, and I hope there's no like concussions and stuff because if you if you follow if you've been following the Jared Gordon. He he was cleared to fight, I believe, on on the pay-per-view, right? If, if I might be mistaken, but it was definitely a fight soon. Uh, and it was cancelled because he was having signs of concussion in training due to the, the headbutt uh, he suffered against Bobby Green. Now, is that a personal problem in terms of he doesn't have good doctors and they just didn't really test for concussions? Or is this like a UFC doctor problem? And, you know, they're, they're not really taking care of their athletes well. Because a concussion's a pretty hard thing to, to test for, right? They can do brain scans and you can see if there's like, you know, little spots on the brain and stuff. But that's not always the case. That's like really severe ones. It's more you just explain your symptoms and then the doctor's going to tell you if you have a concussion or not. So it's kind of hard to figure out what's going on. And... It's, I don't know, it's, the UFC is a shady business, right? So it's hard to know if they're actually taking care of their athletes medically or even if they do anything at all. Uh, 50k, I did a madness. Dan Ige did a good job against uh, Landwehr. Uh, Landwehr came in hot in the third. I was impressed with his with his toughness and his resilience. But Ige's stance switches in that fight were just a thing of beauty. He, he, he was just evading uh, Landwire's advances in those first two rounds and picking off shots. He was managing his distance well so Nate, uh, Nate couldn't get close. He dropped him twice and almost finished him in that second round. That's made the third round even more impressive for Landwire because he came out firing after almost being finished. It was a great fight. Um, I think it was, it, was a good, it was a good test for Landwire so we can see where he is considering his his last couple of fights have been really impressive and he's become kind of a crowd favorite pretty quickly. I think this was like a humbling win, uh, a humbling defeat, sorry. Just kind of knocked him down a peg or two, put him in his place. But all in all, great fight. And of course, the fucking boy is back, Charles Oliveira. Never, ever, ever doubt the man. Now, if you have a phone handy, you're on your phone, if you download the Verdict MMA app, you can 
predict fights and you use your XP points and then you earn points based on um, the method and round and stuff of victory. And you can score the fights. And if you check the global scorecard, then you can see everybody who has voted and they do an average and you can see which... Uh, how how the fans have scored the fights and it's a really cool feature to check especially when there's been these controversial decisions to see how the fans see it compared to the judges um i do write for verdict mma so i am a little bit biased if you go onto their website you can check out my articles too just a bit of a shameless plug but yeah if you go on the app you can follow me on it my user tag i believe is i'll just quickly check I believe it's like Mooney994, M-O-O-N-E-Y-994, yeah. Follow me and you will see my picks and predictions. Usually, I'll be honest, I am pretty terrible, but sometimes I do smash it. Charles Oliveira, I put second round knockout. I never doubted my guy. I did think that, uh, I definitely thought it would go past the first round, because I thought it would take Charles a little bit of time to figure Benny out. Now, Benny looked good in all areas up until he didn't, which it's all it takes, right? You're, you're only good until you're not. So he was looking good in the grappling exchanges. He was looking pretty good on the feet too. Charles just must have this ungodly power that we just seem to forget. Like Justin Gaethje came out and said he was the hardest person the hardest hitting person he ever faced. He said every time he hit him, it like stunned him. And you saw it in against Chandler. You saw it against Poirier. You saw it against Gaethje. And now we've just seen it against Benny. Also, side note, that's four and one against the top five. That is an impressive record. Now, he looked amazing. He was, He finished well. He got the crowd going. He's been learning English. He's doing everything right. He was fired up. It was like the Charles we wanted to see against Islam the first time. Now, I was kind of against the idea of a rematch with Charles and Islam if Charles won. I personally would have liked to have seen the winner of Dustin and Gaethje fight Islam just because we've already seen Islam and Charles and it wasn't competitive at all. But... Seeing that has got me hyped up and I'm like, you know what? Throw him in there again. I think he can win. And if you think that Charles Oliveira can't beat Islam, you're wrong. Now, what I'm saying is different to if I think he's going to win, I think Islam's going to win. But can he win? 100%. If Charles Oliveira catches Islam once, he can put his lights out. Even better now is Charles probably has more confidence after he saw Volk's fight with Islam. He saw Volk hurt Islam a couple of times. He saw him catch him. He saw how to have success against Islam. Volk was Volk's fight with Islam was so big for the lightweight division because it showed everyone that Islam wasn't unbeatable. It showed everyone he has flaws. So Charles against Islam, I think we see similar. I think we see Islam take him down and dominate him. But if if Charles catches him, you know, he and of course he always has his jiu-jitsu to fall back on. 
Um, I don't think it's going to be a factor against someone like Islam just because Islam doesn't really engage in any jiu-jitsu or in his grappling. He's very wrestling and striking heavy. So when he's on top, he's always busy. He doesn't really grapple and give you that opportunity to, to, to get in any submissions. But if Islam decides to stay up and strike at any point, Charles can catch him. Now, as well, Charles said that he had an off night. 100% looks like he did, right? He didn't look the same. He could have been nervous. He could have been scared. It could have been anything against uh, Islam. It could. He could have just had a bad night. I was speaking to one of my friends the other day, and I was explaining, if you think of any other sport, I'm going to take football, for example. When you're watching a footballer, they don't play perfectly. They don't have great games every single week. They have bad games. They have quiet games. They look shit one time. Fighters are no different to any other athlete in that way. You can go into the octagon and have an off night. You might not be feeling it. You might be sore. You might be nervous. Something's just not clicking or you're a little bit slow, whatever. It's just that the stakes are so much higher when it comes to fighting or combat sports because you only have the one chance. It's only you in there. You don't have teammates to carry you when you're not doing well. So if you have an off night, it can be detrimental in terms of what happens next in your career. So I 100% believe that it's possible that Charles had an off night and I 100% believe that Charles can beat Islam. But now I don't know if Dana White or anyone, um, any representative for the UFC has confirmed that that's definitely the fight. Um, I mean, when do they fight in Abu Dhabi? October? So it's it's going to be either is uh, Charles or the winner of Poirier Dustin, and it's most likely going to be Charles. And then I would assume Volkanovski Islam if Islam wins. Volkanovski Charles if Charles wins is an interesting one. Or do they do Volkanovski versus the winner of Dustin Gaethje as a number? I mean, there's so much that can happen by the time this you know this goes down. I mean, if Volkanovski loses to Rodriguez. Does does he just abandon the featherweight division and go back up, or does he want an immediate rematch? Because let's not count our chickens too quickly. Yair Rodriguez is a very tough fight for Volkanovski. I personally believe he is a stylistically tougher opponent than Islam will be. Just because in a fight where Volkanovski has the advantage in wrestling, I can see Volkanovski going to that. Whereas, obviously, Islam is has the advantage in wrestling, so he wanted to keep it on the feet. But Yair is very dangerous, especially on his back. I still have said many times, and I still believe, he beat Ortega by submission because it was his Kimura that dislocated his shoulder. That should be a submission win against one of the best black belts in the UFC. He submitted Emmett off his back. He is very dangerous uh, on the ground. And then, of course, he has a... Bigger reach advantage than Islam had against Volkanovski. He's about the same height as Islam, if not a little bit taller. He's a lo- long, tall featherweight. So all the advantages that Islam had in terms of height and reach, Yair has. He just doesn't have the strength. But Yair's not going to go in there and look to wrestle Volkanovski. And Volkanovski, uh, sorry, Yair is way more dynamic with his striking. Yair can hit an incredible kick out of nowhere. And someone like Volkanovski that's short and his, ease, his head is more accessible, he puts himself in danger. I mean, 
Islam had success with his body kits, kicks. Max had a couple of success with his couple of his head kicks. I think Yaya has a strong chance of winning that fight. And I'm pretty sure I'm repeating myself because I'm sure I've said this on one of my earlier podcasts, but yeah, I, I mean, I stand by it. Yeah, and then we had, oh yeah, Nunes, of course, defended her title and then retired. Now, what is surprising is the fact that, and now actually, tell you what, I'm not surprised she retired and I'm kind of glad she has retired because it's nice to see somebody retire on top. It's very, very rare in in this sport that a fighter retires at the top. The only person I can actually think of is GSP. That of course Khabib as well. Sorry, Khabib and uh, GSP. They're the only two that I can think actually retired on top. Now she was very dominant. I definitely believe she could still be dominant for another few years. I definitely don't believe that she's avoiding Pena, like Pena's been saying. Pena's just fucking lost her mind. She got absolutely obliterated in her last fight. But yeah, what was most surprising about that fight is that Sal D'Amato and Chris Lee actually scored a fight correctly. I don't think they scored any of the rounds incorrectly, which is a fucking miracle. But yeah, Nunez retires on top, which is nice. Dana White said it probably means the end of the women's featherweight division because there isn't that many women featherweight contenders. Um, it throws up the bantamweight women's division now as well a little bit. Throws a spanner in the works, so be interesting to see how that works itself out. But yeah, all in all, I mean, the, the Canadian card was great. Uh some interesting fights coming up. Oh, yeah, I said I was going to talk about Lofnane's defeat against uh, Pinedo, which I don't know if you guys have seen it, but I recommend you just go on Twitter, type in, like, Lofnane knockout or something. Pinedo uh, throws up, kind of looks like he's going for a kick, and he can kind of see he's going to miss, and then he kind of changes it into a knee and catches Lofnane and, like, almost instantly puts him out and then finishes with a ground and pound. What's insane about that is that now knocks out the reigning champion from the playoffs because they don't have, you know, they don't have title defenses. It's like a, like if you're watching the NFL or the Premier League or something, you have a champion at the end of each season and then you're the reigning champion, not necessarily the defending champion. But he's out now as a minus 700 favorite and he was doing so well and he was starting to get so much recognition that this just this one loss kind of it's just it's put the brakes on it by so much because of course the narrative of him not making it into the UFC and then becoming this huge PFL star now he's been beaten by this guy that is a no name it's like oh well you know just showed he wasn't good enough for the UFC I I don't believe that I believe if when you're fighting at the top level you can you can be beaten by anyone. It just takes one lucky f- shot. And especially if you make a mistake or you misread something for a split second, it can, it can, it can, that, that's what it can be. 
Um, but there's just, like I said, the toxic community in MMA. Everybody likes to jump on someone's downfall. So people are shitting on him quite a lot. And yeah, I don't think it's necessary. I think he's he's a great fighter. I think he would give 99% of the top UFC featherweights a really good fight. Uh, I hope he bounces back. I hope we see him soon. Uh, this weekend, we have uh, Arman uh, Tasiorkan, which I expect him to do amazingly against Silva. That's another contender at lightweight if he gets a win. If he gets a win, he pops himself uh, in, in, in contention for a big fight next. Because he's someone that, like Islam, when Islam was coming up, right? And also a past opponent of Islam. He is one of those names where it's like he's not fought anyone big. He doesn't have any significant wins. It's not his fault. It's because people don't want to fight him. He is so good that people don't want to fight him. So he can't get these big fights because, because people won't accept it. Now, he had a very close fight with Gamrot, um, which he arguably won. Again, that set him back a little bit because we saw we've seen Gamrot now making making waves in the division. He had a fight against Dairouche, which if he'd have won, it could easily have been him in there against Charles uh, last weekend. So yeah, I hope he gets a win. I'm looking forward to that fight. Vittori fights Kananir. I think this is a very big fight for both fighters. I think if Vittori wins, especially after his after his last win against. Uh, Daldidzi, uh, Roman Daldidzi. I think after his last win against the, an, a huge up and coming with a lot of hype, a win against Kananir puts him in the in the hat for. I don't know if I've just done a fucking. I've just changed my mind in like myself within ten seconds because I can't ever ever see a way that the Tory fights Adesanya again for the title anytime soon. The only way it would happen is if somebody else's champion but if he keeps himself at the top of the if, if, he, if he beats Kananir he keeps himself at the top of the division we just find ourselves another uh, Whitaker situation where he's too good for anyone else but just not quite good enough to be champion especially while Izzy's <clears throat> on top but I I expect Vittori to win I don't see I don't see Kananir you know getting through that granite chin I think Vittori's gonna wear him down but should be a good fight. There was a couple of rumors I wanted to quickly sign off with. Uh, if you've been watching the Ultimate Fire, the Ultimate Fight has been great. I I really liked the idea of having the prospects versus the the veterans. I think there was a clip going around of Brendan Schaub speaking to Laura Sanko, and he was saying that he doesn't like it because the veterans. You know, they've had their chance, they're old. What are we going to do if one of those wins and they go back in the UFC? And Laura Sanko said, well, it works both ways because if these prospects can't get past the veterans, how are they going to fare in the UFC? Which is absolutely right. And I like the way it's, it's done in that both fighters have both sets of prospects and both sets of veterans. It just has a good storyline to it, I think. Uh, and yeah, I've been super interested watching it. I always love the behind the scenes things. Uh, I think they should give Chandler and McGregor more airtime. The editing's not done the best. Some of the outtakes that I've seen on like Twitter and YouTube and stuff have been some of the better clips that they've not even used in the show. But 
yeah, it's shaping up to be a good season. I'm, I'm enjoying it. Uh, it's, I do really like seeing the veterans because I definitely believe that the UFC are pretty strict in terms of cutting people. If you lose two to three fights in a row, depending on how you've lost them, that the, they, they have no issue cutting these, you know, these newer fighters and then give paving the way for, for, for newcomers. So this prospects versus veterans, it's just cutting out all that crap. You know, if you're a prospect coming in, you're only going to fight against a veteran on his way out or another prospect. So it's just doing all the hard work prior to getting into the UFC. So it would be nice to see some of these veterans get a second chance. But then also I would like to see, I would really like to see some of these prospects shine, you know, use the platform of the Ultimate Fighter to get their name out. I think having some, uh, having the, the coaches be who they are is probably going to have higher numbers and higher ratings than their usual shows. So it's probably a good way to get your name out there. But yeah, we'll see. We're, I just finished watching the third episode, so there's still a lot more to, to go. Uh, I saw that um, that Adesanya said he would fight Chemaev. He said it would be a huge fight or something because he said if he he wants to fight Drikus next, uh, I did a YouTube video which did pretty good numbers in you know comparison to my others talking about how I think Whitaker is going to win and Drikus has no chance of winning, but if Drikus can win, it'd be an interesting fight. But I think Whitaker smokes him. Uh, I would also like to see uh, Kamzat fight Israel, but isn't isn't uh, Chimaya fighting Usman next, which would be which would be amazing. But yeah, I know why. Uh, Chris Weidman's returning soon, after since breaking his leg against uh, Brad Tavares, which is definitely not an easy comeback fight. But I think this could definitely be the last fight for Chris Weidman if he loses. But yeah, I think that is pretty much everything I wanted to speak about. If you managed to make it all the way through, thank you for listening in. Uh, I'll definitely be having some more some more podcasts coming up over the next couple of weeks. Keep an eye out and I shall see you all soon.